Hi, and welcome to the Write the Story podcast, where we divulge tips on plotting as you listen in to us outlining a short story. This episode has been brought to you by our listeners and supporters on Patreon. If you want to help bring more podcasts like this one to life, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash amwritingfantasy. Welcome to episode two. I'm Autumn. Before I call Jesper, let me bring you up to speed with what we have so far. We are continuing to plot our short story. Last week, we developed the premise, and this week, we are going to go more in depth with the characters, especially Dramna, who is our main character, the protagonist, and our main point of view character. Then we have some secondary characters like Askel and Ubri. Plus, like I mentioned last week, I really want to develop Dramna's parents more so they aren't just a stereotype. So we got a little bit of work to do on characters. Okay, with that, I'm going to call Jesper. Hello? Hi, how are you? Hi, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing better now. Uh, I've yeah, been you've a been bit, sick. Uh, I've been sick with COVID over the last week. Oh, so, that's uh, so bad. How are you feeling? Um, much better. Much better. Good. Thank you. Um, I will try my best to uh, not cough in your ear <laughs> or at least mute myself. Or maybe we will edit out the coughing so people <laughs> don't have to listen to that. But my voice is not like 100%. But I think it's good enough to talk a bit about story creation and plotting and so on, at least. Well, that's good. I'm glad you feel up to this because I really am looking forward to talking more about Dramna's role, like fleshing her out a little bit more. I only know her as an adult from our books where we've written her. You know, she's like almost 200 years old because she's a white elf. But this is her as a child, as a teenager. And I really kind of, after last week and talking about her little rebellion phase, I kind of want to get into her a lot more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think... I think it got a lot more interesting last week with what we did there. So uh, hopefully we can uh, come up with some good stuff for her and the other characters this week. I think so. I think it'll be really good. And yeah, and developing her parents a little bit more will be great too. So All right, I'm ready. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready to jump in whenever you are. Okay, well, um, I think we're trying to follow our plot development guidebook here ourselves. So uh, the, one of the first things... Uh, we wrote ourselves to do (laughs) was to uh, basically do the cast of characters. So what that means is uh, to try to define what kind of roles the different characters are filling in the story. Obviously, we know Dramna is the protagonist already, so that's quite easy. (laughs) That's true. So these are like um, like the character archetypes, what roles they fill as an overarching theme in the story, right? No, this is just uh, defining if it's if they are like the protagonist, the mentor, the sidekick, the love interest, and so on. Look, kind of what role do they play? And then we're gonna get into more character development in in a moment. But I, I think, to be honest, I think it's quite easy. I guess the only thing is the parents that we can debate a bit because Ubri is clearly the love interest in my mind. Oh yeah, um, I think that's obvious. And then. We have Askel, who's, well, he's the mentor, I guess, since he will end up trying to get her into the Assassin's Guild and all that. Yeah, even though he shows up at the end, which is a little unusual, I guess, for stories with mentors. But that's really the role he plays, even though he's like the last three quarters. Yeah, I mean, what what it says here about the mentor is that it says the mentor gives guidance to the protagonist and helps our hero learn and understand what is necessary to overcome the challenges ahead. So it says it's a supporting role, yet a mentor should be an interesting character in his or her own right. And well, that part, I think we have covered. (laughs) He's uh, a master assassin. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty cool on his own right. (laughs) Then it says this person needs to have flaws and agenda of his or her own together with all the other elements that makes a character interesting. The agenda part, I don't really think we have any agenda for Askel at no. the moment, do we? No, no, we don't really have the agenda. And I mean, obviously he was, we've talked about what led him to being injured. So we have something going on there, but, and that might be part of his flaw. He obviously doesn't see his 
um, apprentice wanting to sort of usurp his place or usurp a place into the role of the master assassin. So we got to maybe develop a little bit more why he's a little blindsided when he's like this legendary figure. Otherwise, I do agree. He's, um, you know, a lot of them are really well fleshed out. I don't know, though, what some of the other roles are so we can figure out what her parents would be other than roadblocks. Yeah, right. So the roles we have is the protagonist, of course, we, we know what that is. And then the mentor was the one we just talked about. Then we have something called sidekick. That would be uh, like Sam in Lord of the Rings, you know, mm. uh, guiding Frodo and making Frodo get to Mount Doom. So sidekicks, sidekicks are friends that are basically very, very loyal. And then it says loyalty doesn't mean that they won't even ever question the protagonist. But when darkness threatens to swallow our hero, they always offer emotional and physical support. So that's yeah. sort of that role. Don't know if we have that as such because I think Ubri is more the love interest, which is the next one. This also says it's much like the sidekick, but a love interest helps to greatly humanize the protagonist. But at the same time, this character gives you additional opportunities to introduce conflict and suspense. Uh, and then like it says that. a lot more, but at least that explains it. Mm -hmm. And then we have something called the Allura, which is basically like the Temptress. Um, it's um, the one who makes promises to the protagonist in order to manipulate or convince the hero to join the side of evil. In Star Wars, for example, you have the dark side mm -hmm. tempting Anakin Skywalker, right? Or you have the one ring in Lord of the Rings. It's the ring itself that is the temptress there. Okay, that's good. Then we have the antagonist, of course, mm -hmm. uh, the opposing force that will prevent the protagonist from reaching his or her goals. So I think in our story, probably the antagonist is more her internal conflict, her own immaturity. I agree, but I, I could, I think that's the true antagonist, but I can see her parents being, you know, the manifestation. That's where right, she got yeah. that internal voice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the that's the half of her that wants to be the good daughter and do what her parents want. But that doesn't... So they're kind of like a, an extension of the antagonist of her inner voice. Yeah, because then you have the deputy, which is uh, the protagonist has... he Like the protagonist has his trusted sidekick, the antagonist can too. So the deputy is a very powerful character who is serving the antagonist as a second-in-command. So in some way, I think that was what you just said. Yeah. In some way, the parents are deputy roles in, you know emphasizing or, or characterizing her inner insecurity. Definitely. I think that is the perfect overarching role to put them in. Okay. And then we had something called henchmen, and we also have something called extras, but I think those two are not that relevant for this. No, I think we're keeping this one, since, especially since it's a short story. We're not making this a cast of characters that is like 20 people. I think keeping it pretty tightly focused is good. Though we didn't really mention, but at the end she doesn't goes she does go and talk to the high priestess who's with Naveen. And so that's also a role where she's not really I don't know what else she would be, if that's gonna be something that needs to be defined, but she also has a bit more of a fleshed out role, I think, in the story that might pop up once or twice. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't need. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure we need to go into like a special role for the priestess. I mean, she she is more a filling role in the end, like an extra. Of course, it's an important scene, but the scene is more important because of Dramna's character arc at that point, rather than it is about the priestess as such. Definitely. No, I can see that. Though, if we again, so we can make her not just stereotypical. I think it'll be important to give her an attitude and so it's a little bit of character development to help her really shine for her tiny exit scene a tiny role there yeah yes. <laughs> yeah i mean could we could we make a note about making her a bit eccentric in one way or another i could see that because we haven't even talked about her age i mean being the high priestess of Naveen's chosen i think we were both assuming she was older but yeah we could figure out something to make her uh quirky at the very least 
Yeah. I mean, not so that she's silly or something, but more no, like no. just so that she stands apart, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to think that one out, but I think that would be kind of good to give her something special as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think if we could come up with something that is a bit a bit different from what you've seen so many times before. Yeah, that'll be hard because I always think High Priestess and I want to think it's like it goes one of two ways. Either you get silly and flaky or someone who is way too strict and very serious. But there's got to be, I think if we think about who the elves are and their role in the world, maybe we can come up with something really unique that fits the world. Would it would it feel silly if it was more like the High Priestess can... That she can almost like, like we said la- last week, uh, you know, that the purpose of being Nivine's chosen is that you are sitting on the beach trying to listen to the wind and the waves to hear Nivine, the mm-hmm. goddess, speak to you. But what if it was more like the high priestess can hear Nivine more or less all the time? So she's sort of like she might, in the middle of a conversation, also talk to to the goddess or something like. So you'd, you, she seems very distracted and a bit like weird when you talk to her but of course the elves knows that what's going on so it's not like they just probably just wait for her to finish or whatever but but to the reader she would then come across as not weird but but different but there's a reason for it you know so it's it's not like it's not a gimmick thing it's it's just because she has a much much deeper connection with the gods I like like that. that. Yeah, I think that's definitely a place to start just to have her. I do agree. She should be, if she's the high priestess, she should be really in tune to Naveen. And I like that even if, I don't know if Naveen will listen to her, but if she can be like, yes, yes, I hear you, you know, and I will relate this and your blessings are whatever. So it's not just her saying it, but she's literally listening to the goddess and tunes you out occasionally because obviously in hierarchy, you would pay attention to the goddess first. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think like with every, you know, if you, if you look back to the middle ages and stuff like that, priests definitely used God as their excuse to push their own agenda. So I could also imagine her doing that. You know, because nobody else knows if if the goddess is actually speaking to her. But if she wants to push a certain agenda, she can just pretend. So I, I could see her do that sometimes. Just like, you know, pretend a bit like, oh, what, Nyreen? What was that? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then it's all her, her own agenda, you see. Oh, so you're already making her manipulative. But I like it. Yeah, but, but wouldn't that be, I mean... Power corrupts, right? I mean, if if you had that much power, wouldn't you sometimes, you know, it starts like a small white lie and then over time it becomes a bit more and a bit more. Wouldn't that be logical? That that's yeah. how that's how you would end up, I think. I mean, if you really had if you could really hear the goddess speak to you and you knew that every time you relayed to other people what the goddess said, that then they would just accept it. Oh, I, definitely I wouldn't buy that you would never, ever try to use that a bit to your own gain. Especially when we're talking about a, a race as long-lived as the elves. And goodness knows what the high priestess before this high priestess did. I mean, if you're coming up as an acolyte or, you know, one of the younger ones and you see that, you know, you start thinking, you're getting away with this. If I was in this position, I would do this. And she, yeah, you would definitely be like, well, you know, no one will notice this one. I like okay, that. I think we can make a note about that. All right, so the next sections of our book is talking about choosing point of view characters. And now we already talked about last week, I believe, that Dramna is the point of view character. So, And it's a short story, so we don't need more point of view characters. So I think that's sort of covered already. Yeah, I th- I don't know if we mentioned it, but I totally agree when I'm writing short stories. It's really rare for me to mix in two unless it's specific purpose. But this this story is about her and it's her coming of age. So I don't think we need to add in anyone else. None of them, you know, even Ubri doesn't show up as a point of view character in the books. So I think we're good. Yeah, I agree. Then we have a whole section about uh, character backstories. Well, that's kind of the thing we're writing here, essentially. And then we talk some stuff about what is important to consider when you are developing a protagonist. 
hmm. and how to make readers readers fall in love with the protagonist, which is a lot of sort of explanations and, and examples and so on. So we'll just skip right ahead until we get to fundamental attributes. All right, that sounds good. Plus, I mean, how can you not fall in love with a blind white elf who become, is a rebellious teenager and becomes a assassin? I mean, I'm in love. <laughs> I, I have to admit, when when we started writing the actual book series, Dramna actually quickly became my favorite one to write. She's actually not the main protagonist of the main series. There is another character, who, but I like her more than the main character, to be honest. <laughs> She's just so cool. She is so cool. I, I kind of agree. She deserves at least a short story, if not to show up in her own book later. So it says, as a starting point, we're now going to ask you to develop three fundamental attributes. And these will be the starting components on which we will build to ensure that your protagonist will become so unforgettable that <laughs> we can't help caring for him or her. That's what it says. I like it. So what do we have to start with? Okay, so the first thing is moral. So it says, what sort of moral belief would cause this particular heroine to face the most trouble? As explained, we are talking about a sense of right and wrong when it comes to morals. This is about the fundamental ethics and deep beliefs of the character. And then it, the book instructs us to brainstorm some ideas based on our story premise. It's basically about trying to think about some moral belief that would make it more difficult for this character to be the character in the story. Oh, okay. So this is... um. All right. I have to wrap my head around this. So something that would just be the worst thing to be possible if you were in the situation you were in. So... Yeah, what kind of fundamental belief if you had this belief, would make your life even more difficult. <laughs> hmm, what would be the most difficult? Well, I mean, we've already had her agreeing with with the belief her parents have that she's just not physically able to be anything other than maybe a high priestess. And she doesn't think she could even do that, or not a high priestess, but it, what a Naveen's chosen. But what would make that even harder for her to believe? So it's it's a bit a bit of a tough one. What if she had like a fundamental belief of you know the traditions are fine and good but they are not more than that, you know, that it's not something that you necessarily have to follow. You you can break out of traditions or do your own thing that I mean in the elven society according to what we build uh, that's probably going to make her life a bit harder. I think definitely so, but I could see maybe she thinks she's the exception because she is blind. And also that just, I mean, it's, it is sort of a teenager thing to do is that you don't understand. You just see these, everyone following traditions, but not necessarily believing or understanding why. So it's, it's a belief that would make sense, but it would definitely make her, it would fit for her um, goofing off when she's supposed to be in her one year of sequestering by the ocean. But I could also see what if she, in many ways, going along with that, just doesn't believe that maybe the goddess even exists, or maybe she's never, well, obviously she's never seen a sea dragon, but she's been so protected and pampered that she doesn't think a lot of the threats and stuff maybe are real. So she's really just doesn't believe in traditions, doesn't believe that a lot of the threats that people every day normally face and live with they're not real to her mm, yeah that makes sense it's hard to sum that up into one uh short sentence though of the belief as you know just not believing in traditions or how that fits uh, but it would really come home when she realizes that reality is a heck of a lot more real than she realized is it more like her belief is that you're your own master? Ah, I could see that. But of course, and I could see that's part of the reason she's rebelling against her parents, because she believes she has personal sovereignty. So I kind of like that one. It, doesn't that sum up what we talked about in one way or another, then in the sense that if you don't follow traditions and so on, then 
your core belief is that you're your own master. You don't have to follow other people's, and which is also why she rebels against her parents and so on. Yeah, no, I like that. I think that kind of works. And also why she would set off alone and a lot of other things. She's not quite learned to uh, work with others and play well with others yet. Okay, so let's go with that. All right, so now we actually have to do something that can help the character. So <laughs> we just uh, did a moral belief that sort of makes her life more difficult. So now we have to do one where we are developing the character's needs and we are po assigning a positive attribute. So this means that it is one thing that will actually help the character to achieve her goal. Some sort of attribute that she has that actually helps. Okay, that'll be an interesting one because... Yeah, well, I mean, once she believes in herself, she actually realizes she's a lot stronger than she really is. But what what belief she has from the beginning that opens her up to realizing that, I guess, is really the core issue here. I mean, it could be as simple as patience or kindness, but I'm not quite sure. Those aren't quite what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think patience actually does work, I think. Because if she thinks that you're your own master, but still she's sitting on that beat, right? I mean, she she sort of she has patience to allow her to become her own master. You know, she knows, okay, I'll go through these ropes, and then in the end, I'm the one coming out the winner. You know, so <laughs> so she's definitely patient. Uh, also, well, some of the attributes you need as an assassin, I think, and some of the things she's doing in the actual book series is also stuff where she's showing patience, you know, she's waiting for her opportunities. She's not mm -hmm. rushing into anything. Yes. And she's also very good at questioning, which I don't know if that'll come up here or something she learns later, but she's definitely a very patient character as well as one who doesn't just believe everything she's told, but that's also part of wanting to be your own master is she doesn't necessarily always believe everything she's told because it's not her. She doesn't always agree with it. No, indeed. So, yeah, patience is probably good as the primary attribute, I think. Sounds good. All right, so we have the primary attribute locked in place. And then next up is deciding three secondary attributes. So these basically belong into some different categories. Okay. And the first one is a, a attribute that speaks of how the character treats his or her relationships. Hmm. Interesting. Trying to imagine Dramna and as a rebellious teenager and... I'm honestly thinking she's in the beginning of the story, and I take it this is maybe an attribute that can change, but I think in the beginning of the story, she's a lot more casual or careless almost relationship. She's willing to go against her parents, which is a relationship that should be strong. She is goofing off with her friends, and I'm sure she enjoys seeing them, but she's also perfectly willing to spend her time sitting on the beach and not with them all the time. So... It does speak to someone who maybe isn't forming really deep relationships at the moment. Mm, yeah, I think so. And that, that also works with sort of the character arc that she needs to discover herself here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's good. The next category is one that tells of how she deals with obligations. It does say that it's good to try to focus on some rather common virtues because this actually makes it easier for the reader to relate to the protagonist. Obligations is, well... I don't know if she's committed to obligations. I, it's more like... <laughs> it depends if she agrees with them, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, she's obviously willing to do the one year on the beach, so she's willing to take that obligation, but I also, she doesn't really believe it's going to happen. She thinks she's going to get out of it as, you know, basically a get-out-of-jail card. So, yeah, so she's selective. Yeah, she's definitely selective. If it aligns with her goals, she'll do it, and if it doesn't... I'm I agree. Not, 
it's sort of like when when she realizes that um you know realizes the reality of hearing Naveen and the dragon she's perfectly willing to drop that one and run hundreds of miles inland I agree so it should probably be selective as long as it aligns with her goals or something like that <laughs> sounds good all right so what's the third attribute we're supposed to come up with that is motives oh motives so the example we have in in the book is honesty. That's, for example, one that could be linked to motives. Uh, that well, there's a... really no real wrong right or wrong answers to this stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. what we come up with. It is, and it's just it's sort of a a guiding principle that makes her what makes her tick. Why she goes and does things. I mean, I definitely. I don't know if it's. I'd almost say she's ambitious. Yeah, is she? I mean, she. Well, I I don't know if she's ambitious in that sense. It's 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 more like she just wants to be her own master, really, right? I mean, she's not ambitious in the sense that she wants to become a priestess or even wants to be an assassin, like we talked about last week, right? I mean, she she will. Well, we will get her to the stage where she will agree to become an assassin, but it's not like that's not like a goal she has from the beginning. No, well, it's not even in. It's not even something that she would consider. I think it's more ambitious to improve her own place in the world, but not necessarily ambitious to be like a president or something like that. She's just ambitious to improve where she is in her circumstance like she doesn't want to live with her parents or she wants more power to be able to say what she wants to do because she has this core belief that she's her own master and should be able to make those decisions for herself yeah so if you have a core belief that you believe that you're your own master what would sort of drive you there would it be i mean Besides independence? Yeah, yeah, but that was, that was exactly what I was thinking. I was just <laughs> about to say it. W- wouldn't it be something about independency? That that's really your, your driving motive? I could see that. And that makes such an interesting paradox where in the beginning she... I mean, the whole time she is blind, but at the beginning she really has this belief that she's not capable of things, but she also has this drive to be independent. It's a, a nice internal conflict that'll set up really well with her character arc. Yeah, I think that works. Okay, great. So we have our primary attribute, three secondary attributes. What is next? Okay, so the next part is probably easiest if I just read a bit of what the text in the book says here. (laughs) Okay. So the next one is about developing needs. So someone who is starving will pursue a completely different goal, uh, that of obtaining food than one who desires love. Where needs become interesting, though, is in the context of how long a certain need has stayed unfulfilled. This is what gives us why uh, the why of the character's basic focus. So what we're doing here is, once again, just creating a building block, and then we try to go into a bit of explanation that at this point it can feel a bit confusing and disjointed, but, <laughs> but that's, uh, it's all building blocks that will come together. When we are talking about the needs, we are talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, now, that is listed inside the book and so on. It's probably too much to go into, start explaining all that. So people will either buy the book and you'll, <laughs> you'll see it or look it up on the internet. But basically, it, is, it has five steps in the hierarchy of needs. So the lowest level is physiological. So it's like breathing, food, water, sleep, that kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. your base need. And only once that's fulfilled, then you move into what is called safety. So this is like a security of body, uh, of resources, of family, of health, that kind of thing. Okay. And then the next level up is uh, love and belonging. So this is like friendship, family, sexual intimacy, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And above that is esteem, self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others, respect by others. And then the highest le- level is then self-actualization. So hmm. this is morality, creativity, creativity, problem solving, lack of prejudice, that, that kind of thing. So, so the question really here is, you know, 
what kind of these needs has gone unfulfilled for the longest for Dramna? That makes sense. I would almost say, well, I mean, her parents keep her safe. The bottom tier, she's she's got a comfortable life and her parents, you know, have secured her. So I think all of her basic needs are met. I think she's somewhere between the second and the third one. And I'm not quite sure which one it is of what's missing is the deep relationships feeling like she belongs. I can see that that's definitely missing, but I also almost wonder if there's something else on the bottom, the second tier that might be missing as well. Yeah. I think I'm more on the love belonging thing because I agree with you. I mean, the food, the water, sleep, all that stuff is under control. And and then the next one up was the safety one, you know, Mm -hmm. security of her body her health, uh, property, the family. Well, they're there. They might disagree with things, but it's all there. True. Um, and I think that's what I was thinking. I mean, they're making sure she's safe even when she's in the tent. And I was just wondering maybe if being blind, if maybe she didn't feel safe. But I think I think you're right. I think belonging is really, she just yeah. doesn't quite feel like she has a place. Correct. Yes. All right. So that's another piece of our puzzle together. What is next for Dramna? Well, yeah, next up is uh, we talk we talk a bit about proactivity and how important it is that the protagonist actually does things if uh, <laughs> if if it's supposed to be a compelling hero, but that's that's a given. Uh, I, I think well, we we know that but we've written enough books by now to to know that part. Yeah, she's not going to just be sitting on the beach the entire short story. <laughs> yeah. So by now we should have three fundamental attributes in place. Yep. For moral needs uh, and then we have proactivity, and then the next up we are talking about the character's personality. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we've now developed like the fundamental attributes, um, which is sort of the baseline that we're building upon. But motivation is then defined by the protagonist's desire to achieve a specific emotional state. So this, you can see how this ties in very conveniently with what we just did about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Because she's driven, her motivation is driven towards trying to achieve what she's missing. Right. So the character's need, uh, which is basically what we just talked about, was the reason for this character pursuing a certain goal. So in that context, we've nailed down what the protagonist wants to achieve, right? So she's going after trying to find her place in the world. That's what she's trying to achieve. Yeah, and that aligns nicely with she's her own master, which kind of actually is almost counterpoint to finding your place in the world means you are part of the world and she's also her own master. So there's definitely already a little bit of conflict developed between those two core core essentials. Okay, so if I try to just reframe a bit what you just said, right? So we have a need, and then the motivation is to drive towards fulfilling that need. So basically you could say like motivation is one step deeper rooted than the need itself. Okay. But then... Even further down, much, much further down, deeper rooted, is what we call the buried conviction. Oh. So the buried buried conviction is what comes from the very heart of the protagonist's mind. So it's basically something that is so intuitive that our hero might not even be aware of it herself. Yeah. Okay. So what we're talking about here is what the character believes about him or herself, the world and others. It is the worldview resulting from the motivation and the need. Okay. I would almost say with Dramna that her, this deep belief in this, that she probably doesn't even give voice or even want to think about is almost that she doesn't belong. Yeah, that she's not worth it somehow. Yeah, she's not that, a valuable person or something. And she might, you know, blame it on her blindness, but she's yeah. missing this connection, and she wants the connection, and she wants to be her own master. But there's a seed inside of her that is like, "You're not worthy. 
you'll never find your place and you're never going to be fully independent. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking as well. So fully agree. Well, go figure. We've only been writing, <laughs> writing books together. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's good. Okay, then we're actually arriving at some of my favorite stuff. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> so this is... Um, we talk quite a lot about the Enneagram in this book. Oh, um, yes. Because it, the Enneagram has some really, really wonderful definitions of personalities. And they are incredibly accurate. You know, I, I spent quite a lot of time on the Enneagram because my wife is very much into it as well. And she is Enneagram coaching and stuff like that. So I've tried to sit through a lot of these Enneagram personality tests and it's incredibly how accurate it actually is. But in the, this book, though, we have sort of a bit more simplified model of the actual Enneagram because there's much more to it than what we have here. But you don't need all the all the details in order for a fictional character. So we've just listed here the different types that exist within the anagram. So our job now is basically to define which one of these types is Dramna. Okay. And then afterwards, we need to find out sort of her maturity level within that type. But that's next step. First yeah. of all, I think if I just go through this, the different types, I'll just read what it says here for each one. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, you just listen and then uh, see if you can, as we go along here, if you think like this, this is the one that is her. Okay. All right. We'll see if we agree on this one. <laughs> yeah. So type one is the reformer. This is the principled, self-controlled and perfectionist person who has a very strong sense of right and wrong. Type one personalities are always striving to do things better and smarter. They hate making mistakes. They are well-organized and can be critical of others who don't meet their high standards. They are often impatient and need to be right if there's a disagreement, but at their core, they generally want to be good and noble. Okay. So that's type one. Mm -hmm. Type two is called the helper. So here we have the caring and empathic person who is friendly, generous, and self-sacrificing. So type two is always well-meaning, but can start to do things for others in order to feel needed. While they are warm-hearted and sincere, they can also become possessive because of their fear of being unwanted. Twos simply want to be loved and appreciated. Okay. I'm still not feeling it, but let's keep going. Okay. Type three is the achiever. Personality type three is success-oriented and pragmatic. They are ambitious and they have the energy, energy to go with it. While they're conscious about status and image, they are also diplomatic. Almost goes without saying that type three often faces problems with working too much. <laughs> In the end, they fear being worthless. And for this reason, they work so hard to distinguish themselves. Oh, there's a few key words there that I kind of like, but what's next? Type 4 is called the individualist. So being self-aware, sensitive, and reserved are all common traits for type 4. They are creative and inspiring types who want to express themselves and their individuality. They try to create and surround themselves with beauty in order to maintain certain moods and feelings. The reason for this is that they can face problems with self-pity and melancholy. It causes them to feel vulnerable and withdraw to protect their self-image. Well, I have to admit, individualist sounds a lot like her as a descriptive word, but I don't know. I'm still not decided. The so rest of it is not really her, is it? Yeah, the rest of it's not quite her, but there's definitely... Maybe, because I know in real reality, you can have um, two or three of these, like in sub ones, but we're not going to get that complicated. But let's keep going. <laughs> All right, so you're going to get type five now, and type five is the investigator. They are alert, perceptive, and innovative as they come. So fives can develop complex ideas and go on to become visionary pioneers who can see the world in a completely new way. Their strong motivation towards understanding and having everything figured out can also lead them to become preoccupied with their own thoughts and imaginary constructs. 
there's parts of her in there, but I'm not uh, I'm not quite there yet with that one either. No, I no, I agree. So what's next? Type six is the loyalist. To be hardworking and loyal are important virtues to sixes. They are responsible and able to foresee problems with great accuracy. They courageously champion themselves and others with a determination to generate security for everyone. All this hard work makes them prone to stress, which they will complain about. When self-doubt creeps in, they can turn reactive and outright rebellious. Oh, well, it's definitely part of her in that one, where she can be outright rebellious, but... I don't know. I'm still there's still something about the achiever I like too, but I know we're not done yet. All right, let's take the last couple. Type 7 is called the enthusiast. So here we find a highly extroverted, optimistic and spontaneous personality. So they strive to maintain their freedom and happiness, but all their playfulness and constant search for new and exciting experiences can also cause them to become distracted and exhausted. So they are very impulsive people who can face problems with being too impatient. Ah, uh, well, she's patient, but... Yeah, that's not her. That's not her. All right, then type eight, that's that's actually me. So <laughs> this is a self-confident and strong personality type who is not afraid of confrontations. Eights feel that they must control their surroundings, including people. They have the power and decisiveness to improve the lives of others, be heroic and inspiring. They can also be domineering and intimidating, not allowing themselves to become vulnerable. And what was the name of that one? The Challenger. The Challenger. Okay, you hadn't mentioned that one. Um, I'm not sure if I'm stinker that way, no. No. All right, so what's the last one, number nine? The last one is type nine, and he is called, or she is called, the Peacemaker. As creative and optimistic people, nines are accepting, trusting, and stable. With a wish to create harmony in their environment, they want everything to go smoothly and without conflict. They do this by being all-embracing and bringing people together. However, they can also be willing to go along with others to keep the peace, and their stubbornness can make them simplify problems and minimize anything that might be perceived as upsetting. Oh, uh, considering her rebellious nature, I don't think she's a peacemaker. Um, it just doesn't fit who she is. So I'm going to still stick with my first gut instinct was achiever because I liked, uh, I can't remember everything you said, but I like what you said, especially about the negative side. It sounded a lot like where she is at the beginning of the story. Right. So just again here, type three, the achiever. Personality type three is success oriented and pragmatic. They are ambitious and have the energy to go with it. While they are conscious about status and image, they are also diplomatic. It almost goes without saying that type 3 often faces problems with working too much, and in the end they fear being worthless, and for this reason they work so hard to distinguish themselves. That's what it is, that she was afraid of being worthless, like not having a place. With that core belief, I could see her wanting to be an achiever. And that's sort of how I mentioned that I thought ambition was a pretty good possible motive, but we went with independence. This is, I think, where the ambition kind of what I was trying to get at. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not disagreeing. I think there's a few of these that could one way or another maybe match her somewhat, but there are some good keywords in here, like you just said, so... so. The thing is here probably, and this is where we can make it really fit well, I think, is that so within each type, if we say she's a type three, Mm -hmm. you have nine levels of development inside each of them. So basically level one is like the best version of yourself if you're type three and level nine is then like the worst version of themselves. This links to the character arc, which we're going to get to. But basically what we need to try to define is sort of what level does she start at in terms of level of development and where she's going to end up, right? Right. And that's what what I do love about this over like some of the other, like the Briggs-Myers tests and stuff. They kind of give you, this is your personality type. This gives you a personality type. And then you have this scale of where you are on it. And 
yeah that it gives is. you this ability to move up and down it yeah it's really great for writing it is exactly it maps so nicely together with character arcs and defining where they are and of course they they, they can also stay on the same level as they were from the beginning yeah. to the end which then is just a steadfast character arc mm-hmm. but if i move from the worst version of herself level mm-hmm. nine basically i'll try to read what it says there and then we can move up the ladder until we feel like yeah that's where she is okay. at the start of the story right sounds good Level nine is the worst worst version. So this is like betraying and sabotaging is no longer enough. Now the person wants to ruin others' happiness. They are relentlessly obsessing over destroying anyone who reminds them of their own failures. A type three at their worst is a person who can show psychopathic behavior. <laughs> so oh, that's not where she is at the beginning, no. No, she's not that bad. That's scary. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, to be honest, this is fun to read as well in in the sense from an author point of view. You know, if you pick up this book, just read all the level nines. They are just so bad. You know, this is like, yeah, your next just villain. Yeah, yeah, totally. Your so next just villain. one level up from that is level eight. It says you are devious, deceptive, and tr- untrustworthy are all labels that can be associated with this person. They actively betray and sabotage others in order to triumph over them. Their jealousy has now become full-on delusional. <laughs> That's not her either, right? <laughs> no, I was going to say she's being a little deceptive, but she's not sabotaging people. Um, nope, not that bad. No, okay, level seven. The type three is now willing to do whatever it takes to maintain the illusion of being successful. The fear of failure and humiliation humiliation removes any boundaries. That might be a bit too much as well. It's it's getting really close though. She could. It's be, getting closer, yeah. I think if she's having a meltdown or a really bad moment, she might sink that low. But I don't think it's her steady state. Let's just check level six here. So constant self-promotion and making themselves sound better than they really are is what occupies this person. They feel jealous of those who have success, and as a defense mechanism, they show contempt against such individuals. Some would call type threes at this level of development arrogant. That's not way off. That's not way off of her as a teenager at all. I could see her putting people down for their abilities it would give us definitely some potential conversations and ways of acting earlier in the story. Yeah, yeah. Let's just check level five as well, just to make sure here. So one level up from that is how the person is perceived matters a great deal. Conscious about their image, the type three begins to take actions aligned with what others expect of them. The person is still pragmatic and efficient. However, they do lose touch with their own feelings at this tier. The smooth surface begins to crack showing problems with intimacy and credibility. Oh, see, that sounds like her to a T, I think. She's having a hard time with relationships. She's going along with what her parents, you know, they sent her to the to short, to, to the ocean side to be one of Naveen's chosen. And she's definitely going along with it, but there's a lot of cracks there on the surface. Yeah, I, I, I think level five is better because I'm a bit concerned if you start her out at le- level six where we are saying that she's basically arrogant mm-hmm. and she will, as a defense mechanism, show contempt against other individuals and so on. I mean, that's fine when it says that here in a textbook that we understand that it's a defense mechanism, but the reader won't understand that. She will just come off an, as an arrogant idiot. Right? Yeah. And that would be my concern. So if we start her all the way at level six, She's not very likable, and yeah. and that is important that she is. So I think level five is much better, yes. Yes, I agree. I think level five sounds exactly like where she is. And like I said, if she's having a bad day, a bad moment, she might sink to one of the lower, some traits of the lower level. But that's, everyone's got bad days. You kind of sink and go up and down. But I think she starts at level five. Okay, I agree. So... If we say she starts out at level five, then let me just read level four to one. Uh, then just we can then conclude where she will end up. So level four is uh, their own performance is a concern to the individual. The fear of failure is bubbling just below the surface. To keep it suppressed, focuses on being the best and comparing one's status and success with others. That's level four. Mm. Level three is there is a strong focus on improving oneself to become a human ideal. So much so that others are motivated to be like a type three. 
So you can see now we're flipping all the way back from where it was really, really bad at level nine. Now you're basically becoming like a deal person that other people want to be like. Yeah. So I love how, how, you know, the scale here is so massively different. Uh, at level two, self-esteem is high. The person believes is in oneself and is very energetic to, together with a show of true graciousness. Hmm. And then level one, the best version of a type three is they fully accept who they are. They are modest, gentle, and charitable. That's wonderful, isn't it? It sounds so wonderful, but she's definitely not there at the end no, of the no, story. No. So uh, I'd like to know a level one achiever. That sounds like a great friend. But I think for her, I would almost say a three, but I also the graciousness that is goes with number level two. I think that kind of fits when she goes and talks to the high priestess. She's being a lot more gracious. I don't know if if I fully agree because I think it might be moving her too far up the ladder too fast. So you in think the sense maybe that, a three? Yeah, I'm thinking more like a four because oh. I, I mean she's still young. I mean she she's coming a bit too more into her own being by the end of the story, but it's a short story, and I I, I like the stuff that the fear of failure is bubbling just below the surface, as it says here, because it's still there. I think. But she's now being focused on being the best and she's sort of comparing her status and success with others. So she's still there. But I, I don't think she's, at the end of a short story, she's already up like high self-esteem and believes in herself and, you know, showing yeah. being a type that others want to be like her. I, I don't think she's there. No, she probably, for her, yeah, I kind of agree. She's too young and not self-confident enough to be to be there she's going to have a lot more confidence but probably four maybe three at her highest points when she has a really glowing moment but that seems reasonable all right so let's make a note that we are going to start her at level five and move her up to level four okay so we, we've gotten quite far here now um the next section is about fatal flaw and inner conflict and then also the character arc and then you wanted to talk about those other characters as well so you want to go into that now? Well, actually, I really kind of got to go do some family things tonight. So can we do it next week? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's probably a good breaking point here as well, because I'm just conscious that it might feel a bit confusing. But honestly, <laughs> I think next time, then next week, our conversation should start bringing things together, because then that's where we really starting to closing off that character arc and so on. So some of this fundamental stuff that we've been talking about here is the starting point of the driver behind what's going to happen next week then. Yeah, to me, it's like you just get all, all the ingredients for a recipe and now we're about to start cooking. But um, let's cook next time and I can't wait to actually really for flesh out Dramna. But right now, I think we at least have all the building blocks in place so we can think about them and be more ready for really bringing her to life. Okay, fair enough. Well, um, it was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you too. Have a good week. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Write the Story, a limited series podcast. Please consider to support. It will help us make more podcasts like this one in the future. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash amwritingfantasy.com.